Today's reading is from Matthew 5, verses 27 to 32. Adultery. You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Verse 31, Divorce It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Amen. Thank you for joining us in worship again on this first Sunday in May. We're joining through Matthew's Gospel and we have come to these verses in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking about a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees and the scribes. And he is illustrating six examples of how our righteousness as kingdom people should surpass that of the Pharisees. And it's really about uh, a righteousness that, that covers every part of us. And Jesus comes to these. The second and third illustration of the righteousness deals with adultery and divorce. Every year you hear about a minister particularly resigning because of some indiscretion or adultery. And it's always a bit of a scandal because the very person who teaches God's word reveals that he has not protected the desires of his own heart. Some show no repentance. They leave their wife and family and ministry and so contradict everything that they have been preaching and teaching. Others are broken and humiliated and are often caught saying to those who draw alongside them, I never thought this would happen to me. But it did. And it started somewhere with a little awareness of another person that was not checked and little by little lines were crossed until adultery is happening and a marriage covenant of promises is shattered. Jesus wants his people in the kingdom to display a righteousness as a community. So last week, sort out your anger, seek out reconciliation. But he also wants a kingdom righteousness that is seen in our marriages. So Jesus deals with, with two issues in his day. Their view of adultery and what was happening and also uh, divorce. Now it's clear Jesus is putting the blame squarely on the shoulders of men. After all, they were the ones who did all divorce, divorcing in Jesus' day. Women had no rights. They're treated as objects, not as people. And in fact, with adultery, the issue for the innocent husband was not a moral one. Uh, someone has sinned. My wife has sinned against some, with someone else. But a property one. Someone's stolen my wife. She belongs to me. But the way Jesus sees these things, because he sees our hearts, uh, is, is completely different. He sees the equality between men and women as children of God and he wants marriages to be the good that God intended for both a man and a woman. 
So to stop divorce and the terrible life it gave women, men need to stop being adulterers. And that is why Jesus commands men to eliminate what tempts the gaze that prompts the lust that leads to adultery and is one step away from divorce. So Jesus says here, gouge out your right eye and throw it away if it causes you to sin. Chop off your right hand if it causes you to sin. Better to live life maimed than to end up in hell. Jesus again uses exaggeration as he did with uh, the, the previous verses, dropping one sacrifice at the altar and going back the 80 miles home to be reconciled or making peace with another person on the road to the judge. Jesus uses hyperbole, exaggeration, to get people to sit up and think about what they're doing or how to think about God and his kingdom. Now, we don't take Jesus literally here or else we would have chopped up our hands and gouged out our eyes. Although one or two people did it in the early centuries and then they find out that gouging out their eyes didn't actually stop temptations in their minds. Jesus uses exaggeration all the time to get people to think about our life in following God. Can a camel really fit through a needle's eye? When you hear that, you've got to think, what does Jesus mean about faith? Can we move mountains by prayer? You've got to think what Jesus means. Jesus says these things to get us to stop, to think and reflect. So Jesus says here, if your right hand or your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples realise the importance of the issue. It's better to suffer loss now for the sake of the kingdom than to lose everything at the final judgment because of where those desires in your heart lead you. So there are three things in these verses that I want to share this morning for, for those of us who are married about loving your spouse. First of all, love your spouse by protecting your eyes. King David's on a warm spring night in Palestine couldn't sleep. He walked out onto his rooftop garden for some cool evening air and to look at his city of Jerusalem. And as he gazed around, his eye caught the form of an unusually beautiful woman bathing. As to how beautiful she was, the Hebrew is explicit. Literally, the woman was beautiful in appearance, very. So she's young, the flower of life, the evening shadows make her more enticing. David's look was obviously not a glance. David's mind was not checked. And even when his servant meekly reminded him that she was already the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of his soldiers, David still would not be denied. Soon Bathsheba becomes pregnant and David panics. Jesus says here, don't look. If your eye causes you to sin because temptation comes to you through your eyes, the objects you see, then pluck out your eyes. That is, don't look. Behave as if you had actually plucked out your eyes and are now blind to the objects which previously caused you to sin. Again, if your hand causes you to sin because a temptation comes through your hands, the things that you do, or your feet, the places you visit, then cut them off 
That is, don't do it. Don't go to those places. Behave as if you had actually cut off your hands and your feet and had flung them away and so could not do the things or visit the places which previously or currently cause you to sin. Because if you don't, Jesus says, you'll take a step further and then another step. And before you know it, you have ruined the very relationships that were the best for you in your life. You see, David should have looked the other way that night, walked back inside his house. And if he did, he would not have coveted another man's wife, breaking the 10th commandment. He would not have committed adultery, breaking the seventh commandment. And he would not have gone and got her husband killed to hide her pregnancy, breaking the sixth commandment. David knew how Joseph fled from the advances of Mrs. Potiphar. He should have fled the scene. And many scriptures unite in a chorus to commend Joseph's example. 1 Corinthians 6 to the early church, flee from sexual immorality, run away from it. 2 Timothy, uh, Paul writing to the young Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. Now when people today in our sexually experiential world hear these words, they hear Christians just being negative. But such advice is never just negative. Because in life, when you flee from something, you do it to embrace something greater, something more important to you in your life. Think about an athlete. An athlete denies herself certain foods and certain lifestyles. She devotes herself to rigorous training that takes up so much of her life. To what end? So that she can go faster, she can go stronger, so that she can go longer. She denies herself the freedom in many other areas of life so that in this particular area she has greater freedom and joy from being the top athlete possibly in the world. The person who can play beautiful music has the ability because they devoted themselves to practicing. They denied themselves freedom in other areas of life so that they had the time to excel at the freedom in making wonderful music. When you deny yourself, when you resist, when you flee, you do so because there is something greater, something more satisfying, something more important that you want to hold on to, that you want to excel in. And so Jesus says here, protect your eyes so that in marriage, it'll become a deeper friendship, a deeper love, a life of trust and openness. And more importantly for both of you, the presence of the Holy Spirit to guide and minister to your life. You cannot expect the presence of God in your life if you're not living in a way that is attractive to the presence of God. So love your spouse by protecting your eyes, your hands and your feet and enjoy the presence of the Lord upon you and the freedom of marriage because you've made that choice. The second thing that I think is important here is that you love your spouse by being content. Our culture encourages us to be discontent with so many things. We always want the next gadget, uh, the next level, the new thing that comes out, including spices. Presents, uh, the media presents images of fitness and beauty that few people can match. Movies imply that Singles who lack a partner are missing the best thing in life. Now, every husband and wife have feelings. 
We fail to listen. We leave messes. We say words in all the wrong places. It's no sin to notice these flaws, but it is a sin to become discontent with the spouse that God has blessed us with. Discontentment dries out love and respect. Discontentment is prideful for the discontented think that they deserve better. But we should be saying God has given me this man and this woman. Contentment is the partner of love. Contentment is the eliminator of the roving eye. Contentment breeds faithfulness. So love your spouse by being content. And thirdly and finally, love your spouse by preserving your marriage. These two verses on divorce is the shortest of the six examples on righteousness. And it is the only one of the six that has no illustration with it. And the reason is that Jesus deals with this subject in chapter 19. And Matthew, writing this gospel, as he's collected Jesus' teachings together, knows that. So he can leave Jesus' teaching on this for when he deals with it later. Now, any divorce is painful because marriage is probably the most intimate and personal of all relationships. And there are few families that are not affected on the one hand by the hurts and disappointments of relationships and on the other by relationships that were brutal, manipulative and possibly dangerous. Now, Jesus enters into a specific debate of the day, debate of the day here on divorce. The religious leaders, Pharisees and the scribes and others, were continually arguing about what the grounds were for divorce for men, because they're the ones that did the divorcing. And they spent so much of their time arguing about Moses' words in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, when Moses allows for divorce because of something indecent in the woman. And there was a great debate about what constitutes something indecent. One school of teachers limited the indecency to adultery, past or present. But the other school uh, left it to the husband to decide what was indecent. So by Jesus' time, some divorced their wives because they actually burnt the toast or didn't look after their hair in public. To them, they argued that was uh, something indecent, which was grounds for divorce. So Jesus enters into the debate between these two sides of the argument. But rather than arguing about what is allowed for a divorce, Jesus turns the tables and is asking, how far will you go to protect your marriage from adultery and divorce to keep God's law? Jesus wants us to fight to protect our marriages by gouging out lustful eyes. Jesus wants us to protect our marriages by not focusing on the get out clauses if things don't work out for us, but on what God's purpose was for marriage in the first place. And that is why in Matthew 19, which he deals with later, Jesus will go back to God's institution of marriage in Genesis. But what we're dealing with here, are these two verses, and Jesus' words here raise one particular question, because Jesus seems to be saying that if you remarry, you commit adultery, because in God's eyes, you're still committed, you're still married to the first person uh, that you married. And the question is, do you read this literally or is this Jesus exaggerating again like he did in the previous uh, verses about gouging out uh, your eye 
many commentators that I, I've read seem uh, on both sides and some say we should take it literally because of later verses and others say it is exaggeration to waken people up. But in the context of other things that Jesus says, it seems that Jesus assumes that marriages end and that new marriages begin. It doesn't mean it's good, but rather it happens. We see that in the case of the woman at the well. Jesus does not say to that woman in John chapter uh, 4, um, you were married once and you've lived with five men since then. Rather, he says you've been married five times and the man you're now with is the person you're living with. Uh, he acknowledges that she has had several marriages. Uh, there are exception clauses that are given for divorce. There's one here. Uh, there's one in other parts of scripture. Paul gives some in 1 Corinthians 7. And so it allows um, for the fact that relationships do break down. Uh, we see that in the context of Mark 10. What God has joined together, let no one separate because someone could separate them. Divorces happen. Relationships break down. People have to go their separate ways. But Jesus' challenge to the people of his day is not to keep fighting over what constitutes the reason for separating because of Moses' words, but fight for a deeper marriage because of God's purpose for it. This is his surpassing righteousness. His exaggeration here, if it is here, is a way of demanding preserve marriage. Fight for your marriages at all costs. So here are my three points just to share with you today. Love your spouse by protecting your eyes. Love your spouse by being content. Love your spouse by preserving, by fighting for your marriages. We must never suffer the minister's delusion that this can never happen to me. If our eyes, our hands, our feet are causing us to stumble, we must take desperate measures to keep that from happening. Jesus says it's better to be a cultural amputee in this life than for our whole body to be destroyed in hell. Unfortunately, many people hear these words too late. And so if God is speaking to you about some things that need to be put out of your life, you need to do what he says today. I say this to single people as well as to married, to young people as, as, as much as to older people. You cannot just turn on and off the habits of your heart. What you are now, you become. So change your heart now to become the kind of person that you want to become in the future. Take the steps to protect your life and your heart and your faith now. And if God is telling you to change your visual habits, then do it now for your soul's sake and for that of your family. If God is saying that a relationship must end, then do it, an inappropriate relationship, then do it today. Or perhaps there is some pleasure that is okay for others, but is causing you to stumble. It must go. And so get rid of it right now for your own soul's sake. Obey God and Jesus' words here with humility and with prayer. Ask him for strength, but do what he says. He says these things because he loves us and he cares for us and he cares for our eternal destiny. This is the stuff of eternal life. This is what it means to be, uh, be righteous in the kingdom of God. And as Jesus' words end with that parable of the two builders, that when the storms of life come, your life, your marriage and your relationships will stand firm. So heed Jesus' words today.
God is speaking to all of us in different ways because no two lives are the same. But uh, we're all broken people. We're all um, hearing the world's voices pulling us in different directions. So hear God's word pulling you to him today to follow him. Not to ruin your life, but so that you will enjoy more freedom, like the athlete and the musician, from weighing more fully God's and the Holy Spirit blessing and giving you peace and guiding your life. Let us pray. Our Father, we know that repentance is a turning away from the direction that we are going in. And though people listening to this are people of may have faith and trust in you, there are aspects of our lives that are actually going in the wrong directions because of the things that we allow our minds to dwell on or our hands to do or eyes to see or what we're involved in. And so, Lord, we hear Jesus calling us back to your road, to your path, so that we might more fully be as individuals, your people of righteousness and walking with you, but also in our relationships with others in our marriages, in our families, and in our friendships. And so, Lord, help us to turn. Help us to seek your kingdom and its righteousness today so that we will rejoice and love you and praise you for the grace and love and mercy that you give to our lives and that we see your presence with us today in these days ahead because you look upon us and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, those are the words that we want to hear from you. So give us the strength and the courage and the leading of your spirit to follow you in these areas of life that you are asking of us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.